working. That's great. Oh, man. You guys feel the spirit moving this morning in amongst our young people. Oh, man. Uh, um, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a, a wandering season as, as Jenna was praying. We, we don't have a youth room anymore. We don't have a student center anymore. And so uh, we've been displaced. Um, and so we actually end up doing youth group in here. Um, so if you find something that shouldn't be there, don't tell Barry, you know. Uh, whatever you just, I mean, just send it my way. I'll be no problem that way. Um, I want to talk to you guys about some things. Um, but I want to tell you a story, but not my story, a story that's been going on in our nation. Um, these pictures look familiar to some of you guys? Yeah. Um, so uh, on February 8th in Kentucky, in a little private school, a little Christian college, a little Bible college, um, a chapel happened. And chapel happens all the time at little tiny Bible colleges. And usually um, Bible college students, and this in my case, can't wait for chapel to be over. Um, and, uh, but on this particular day, these students just kept on worshiping. They kept on praying. And for two weeks straight, 24-7, they had what they called a revival. And it was an incredible sort of thing to sort of watch. And it was, it was, it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, like, revival started kind of breaking out into other campuses and other places. And that week at youth group, I set up youth thinking that maybe revival could break out here at youth group. You know, maybe, maybe I'll be calling parents at the end of the night and be like, I know that they should be home, but you're going to have to come worship with them if you ever want to see them again. Because... Because revival broke out at Grace Point Youth. I, I, was, I was convinced. I, I even prayed over the chairs. I came in early. I was like, if it happens, let it happen here, God. And then, you know, I preached a sermon, which was probably the best sermon in the whole world, actually. Um, and it just fell flat. What? Fell flat. Like, you know, even worship that night just felt like the most mellow night of youth group of all time. Went home. Got into my feels about it. Why didn't this happen here? Why, why couldn't it happen here? And then, then the story started to change at Asbury. And all of a sudden, these like hit pieces started coming in. And people started doubting what was going on there. And, and I got to be honest, I, I started doubting it too because it didn't happen here, you know? Um, and I got into my cynical mode about the whole thing. And maybe, maybe it's just a big show. Maybe the media is pointing cameras over here so we don't look over here. And, and I, was all, I was all in it, you know, all in those, those cynical vibes. And, um, and then all of a sudden, as I was thinking about all that stuff, uh, I saw this post. And it wasn't like a viral post. It was just a post from somebody who'd been there and somebody who shared it. And so it, wasn't, it didn't have a whole lot of likes on it. But it's just this girl who went to Asbury Revival, and she found Jesus there. And she found Jesus there. God used that chapel. She wasn't even a student at the school. But they used that chapel to help her come into a relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, I, I realized that cynicism that I had, it was, just, it was just wrong. It was just absolutely wrong because even for one soul, the Asbury Revival is echoing into eternity. You know, I'm, this is going to sound weird, on, especially on student ministry takeover, but I don't necessarily agree, students, close your ears for this, um, in the philosophy of the, the kids shall lead us. 
the students shall lead us. I don't really believe that because biblically, I don't see that. You know, in Proverbs, there's wisdom comes with experience and experience only really comes with age. And I think that our culture is in kind of a mess right now because we all want to look younger. So we keep looking to young people and trying to mimic them as much as we can. And because of that, we all look kind of foolish. You know, and so I do think that there's something wrong with the idea of the, the youth shall lead us kind of principle. But when I was thinking about Asbury, and when I was thinking about the student ministry takeover, and I was thinking about all the different things that were going on around us, there is one thing that I think youth, teenagers, 20-year-olds lead us in better than any other thing, and that is hope. For some reason, of the three, faith, love, and hope, the harder one to have as you get older is hope. I think it's because of cynicism. I think it's because we are, we've become used to being let down. We've seen the rise and fall. We've, we've been on the spiritual mountaintops, and we know what comes after the spiritual mountaintops, usually falling down that mountain. And because of that, it's hard to hope. One of my favorite things about getting to work with teenagers is they have an excess, an outsourced amazing ability to hope. And so I believe that, yes, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that teenagers and 20-year-olds should lead the church in, it is in hope. And that's, that's what I keep thinking about. But I, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of could revival ever break out in our midst? Could we ever have something like that? Now, I'm, I'm the type of person who, yeah, I love worship and the high emotion of worship. But I always want my emotion and my spirit to connect with truth. And I think that if, if, if revival were to break out, then it would be in accordance to what the scriptures already laid out. And the good news for us is there's been revivals in the Bible. So let me take you to the very first one. It's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I don't even know if you call this a revival. There's no re. This is just a vival, you know. This is the first time the church is going somewhere. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 42. And the way I do this, guys, when, 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 I, when I get a chance to teach is I like to kind of go through a big chunk of Scripture and point things out sort of verse by verse in, in just kind of exposing what's there. I feel like that helps me to get a better understanding of what the text is fully saying. So that's what we're going to do. You don't have to turn anywhere else this morning. You just can stay in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You guys can see it. I'll, I'll highlight it a little bit more there. But if you have a Bible, like a physical one, go ahead and highlight teaching, fellowship, bread, prayer, wonders, and signs. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And I think that a lot of times when we look at verses like this, we could divide this up into two different sections. There's this section up here, right there, and then there's this other section down here. And I think when, when we do that, that's a lot of squiggly lines, um, but when we do that and we divide it up into this, this way, we, we could kind of take away the wrong thing is that this is what the disciples did. This is what the followers of Jesus did. And this is what was done for them. And we could, we could take that and we could say that if, this, if we give this, then we get this. So if we, if we teach and we pray and we fellowship and we break bread together like we did today, then miracles will happen in front of us. And I think that that 
There's, there's some precedent of that. Jesus actually says, hey, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. There is some precedence that faith, that, that miracles flow from faith. But I think one of the things we have to realize is that all of this, all of this is a miracle. Every single piece of this is a miracle, which, which brings me to this point. Faith isn't just a place where miracles come from. Faith is the greatest of miracles. Jesus says this when he heals the, 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 the paralytic man who was lowered down in front of him. The first thing he does, he looks at him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone in the room goes, oh, because there's a paralytic man in front of a healer. What every single human wants to see is that Jesus make this guy walk. And then he can feel that people are let down by him saying, your, your sins are forgiven. And he asks the crowd a question. What's easier? What is easier to say your, fa- your, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? And which time he did get up, take his mat and walk. But the point there is that the faith, the salvation, the sins being forgiven, that first step is a miracle in and of itself. And it's not just a little miracle. It's the greatest miracle there is. I was thinking about this this week when I was thinking about uh, two specific times where I feel like I encountered a miracle of God. Two specific times. The first was long, long time ago, probably about 11, 13 years ago, I was like, a, I was a youth pastor, not like, I was just a youth pastor down in Oregon. And I was just starting this church and we needed to have a summer camp. From what you guys heard from the videos, summer camp and youth ministry is a pretty big deal. Also, we will be um, launching our summer camp registration next week. So sign your student up for that because that's going to happen here soon. Um, youth ministry and summer camp are pretty big deals. That, that's, that's a pretty big deal in it. And so this youth ministry that I just started at didn't have a summer camp. And I needed summer camp to go well. And so what I did is I tried to resource it the best way I could. And um, summer camp is not an easy thing. It's not a cheap thing. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of resources. But when you're starting off, it's really important to have a really low cost that, that anybody can afford. Um, and, and it's also really important that you have everything there that you need to have there. So in order to pull off this first camp, summer camp, I took my, my youth group from Oregon all the way up to Port Angeles, Washington, to a lake that I knew up there. Because I knew the greatest of all things in summer camp existed on this lake, boat drivers. Um, and so I knew some boat drivers who would drive for us that week at camp. So we went all the way to Port Angeles. Now, Port, of, Port Angeles exists in a kind of a, a strange spot. If, you're on, if you go to the east side of Port Angeles and get towards Squim, you're kind of in this place called the Rain Shadow. That's where all the people retire um, from California. Um, that's, that's, where, that's, what, that's, that's what happens in Squim, you know? No one's from Squim. Like, it's just Californians there now. Um, we've given it to them. Um, we forfeited it. So it, it doesn't rain nearly as much. In fact, if you look on the, the registry, it only rains 12 inches in Squim. Everyone's like, okay, I'm going to look for property in Squim now, you know? Um, but if you go to the west of Port Angeles, there's this other thing called the rainforest. And guess what happens there? Now, the lake that I'm taking the students to is not on the east side of Port Angeles. It is on the west side of Port Angeles. So I am taking these students to a lake that exists in a rainforest. And I, I start really depending on the weather apps during this time. This is the first time in my life where I start really looking at these weather apps over and over and over again. And a week, two weeks before, nothing. 
Then 10 days before, it's supposed to rain on two of the days, but it's only like 50%. Two days before we're supposed to leave for summer camp, it's supposed to rain all five days that we're there 100% of the time. I'm thinking, should we cancel this thing? No, we need to have this summer camp. And, and even a summer camp in the rain is probably better than no summer camp. So we go forward. But I asked the whole church to pray. I said, please, just pray for us. Pray that, that God would give us some good weather. We show up at camp. And by some miracle, it's not raining there. It's, it's not. It's, it's nice. We get the kids in their cabin. It doesn't rain the whole first day. Next day we wake up, the sun's out. It's not raining. On the app, it says that it is raining. Okay? So digitally, it's raining. But, but in real life, it's not, you know? And so it's like, what's happening right here? On the third day, our cook goes into Costco, which is like between Port Angeles and Squim, and, and, and she comes back and she goes, you wouldn't believe what happened on my trip to Costco. I'm like, what? Did God multiply the samples and we don't have to pay for food anymore? Um, she goes, no, but about 10 minutes outside of camp, it's raining, and it's raining really, really hard. And then when I came back, 10 minutes before I got here, it stopped raining. TJ, it's like God is holding back the rain for this summer camp. And I look up, and I see that it's all blue sky, but of course, on all, all the way around us is these, are these big rain clouds. And I just got this picture of Jesus just holding back the rain for us. And he did. It didn't rain at all in the rainforest for a week. That's a miracle right there. That's an awesome miracle. Actually, it rained for 10 minutes. And it rained during the time we had the slip and slide out and when our sprinkler broke and we needed it to rain. And so, and so, and so Jesus is up there going, nope, nope, nope. Oh, you need some rain now? Okay, here you go. And then, and then, oh, no more? Bam, made it happen. And you know what happened at the end of that camp? Kids got saved. Kids got baptized. Kids rededicated their lives to Jesus because God held back the rain. And it was a miracle that I got to see. Now, but I always think about this other story that happened just a few years ago. Um, for three straight years, I got to be the, the, the speaker at one of the Krista camps called OpX, which is a... Um, it's a camp for military kids is basically what it is. And they all come together and it's actually a really cool thing. Um, and we had a great week and it's all leading up to gospel night. And I don't even, I'm not even checking the weather. But at, right before I'm about to step out there, and now if you guys understand anything about Krista camps, all their chapels are outside. Um, there's no inside kind of chapel. And so they sing the last song. I go up there with my notes, which are just like, which are literally pieces of paper. And I put them on the stand and all of a sudden, it starts to rain. It starts to pour down there. So much so that it rains in like one minute of me praying, I can't even see my notes anymore. And I got to tell you that this should have ruined that moment. But the Holy Spirit kicked in. And all of a sudden, I started preaching a sermon that I didn't prepare. It wasn't my sermon. And I started talking about how salvation was going to pour out from the heavens at this camp like grace, like rain. And, and the crazy thing about this was the, the students, even though it was raining on all of us, they were so engaged. They were watching the whole time. And the crazy thing is I couldn't, at the end of the sermon and at the end of people, you know, asking to receive Jesus, every kid in that camp either chose to follow Jesus for the first time or chose to rededicate their lives to Christ. It's crazy because the rain in this moment served as a tangible experience of God's grace pouring out salvation upon this camp. I thought, 
God, why did you do that? Why did you, why, why did that happen? But now I got these two contrary stories. One, God holds back the rain so kids can get saved. And the other one, God gives us rain and the kids get saved. What's the miracle? The miracle is faith. The miracle isn't, isn't the rain. It's the fact that faith goes forward. Jesus goes in front of us where we walk. There's no place we can go that he is not. And when young people or old people or any people come to know Jesus, that's the miracle. Don't miss it. And I want to say it this way. At the end of this service, I'm going to give an opportunity for people to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you walked in here to support a family member who is on stage. Maybe you walked in here, you didn't realize what you're doing, just God led you here. Well, congratulations. This is the first day of the rest of your life. And today could be your rebirthday uh, if you choose to follow Jesus. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 44 says this. All believers were together. Remember, this is the original revival, the Bible, right? All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold, all, they sold all property and possessions and they gave to anyone in need. Now, this verse has been interpreted so many different ways. And, I, and I've heard this, people use this verse to say political things. Like, they don't see Jesus here. They see John Lennon of the Beatles here, Right? They see, they see sort of a, a, a communist statement here. And, and people go, well, they see, isn't, isn't this, this is the Bible? Doesn't, doesn't it promote communists? First of all, the Bible is pre-any political statements. It exists way, way, way before this. So it's, it's, it's not making that point. And here's the crazy thing is people aren't just giving towards the collective. That's not what they're doing. And it's not that they don't value their property and possessions anymore. That's not what's happening either. They value their property and their possessions. There's just something that they value more. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. And so what they're doing is, is the thing that they have in common. It's not, the Bible's not saying like, okay, you know, all these people were like-minded. They, all had, they were all part of the same club. No, we know that's not true because right before this, we are told they don't even speak the same languages. So how could people who don't even speak the same language have everything in common? The reason is, is because they found Jesus. And once they found Jesus, they found everything they needed. Another way to say this is if we have Christ, then we have everything we need. Christ is all and in all. And he is everything that we need in this life. He is, he is what makes a rich man rich. He is what makes a poor man rich. He is what makes a middle class person rich. Because if you have Jesus, you have more riches than this world could ever have to offer. I remember the first time I learned this, I was at the poorest time in my whole life. And there's a lot of poorness in my life. I actually was born into a trailer park and uh, broken family, broken lots of different things going on in my life that were, were just tough. But the time I was the poorest in my life was when I was 19 years old. I had moved out. I was, I was heading off to Bible college and I decided to go live in the city where my Bible college was six months before my Bible college would start. Now I wasn't even accepted into my Bible college at this point because I didn't have enough money to pay the acceptance. It was like a acceptance fee or it's like a uh, application fee. That's what it was, an application fee. I needed $50 to pay an application fee so that I could even apply to go to Multnomah Bible College. And so I moved to this new town and my job was supposed to start. I called them to make it start. 
to see when it would start, and it wasn't going to start for two weeks. So by the time that this job started, I had zero dollars. I was eating rice and water. That's what I was having. And my, my car had a quarter of a tank of gas. And so here I am starting this new job, which is supposed to help pay for me to get into Bible college and pay my way of Bible college. Now, what is this job? Well, I was a beer distributor. That's what I did. I went to the stores. There was these big pallets of, of, of alcohol in the back, and it was my job to go into Safeway and put them, take them off of the thing and put them on the shelf. I was a Bible college kid who was also a beer distributor to pay for it. That's, that's what God was doing in my life during this time. Um, and, uh, and my job started, but I had to drive from store to store to store to do this. This time I had a 1986 Honda Accord, um, which just ran on faith most, most of the time at this point. Um, and by the end of the two weeks, I had one more store I had to go to. Then I was going to go back to the factory, get my paycheck. I could put gas in my vehicle. My vehicle had been on empty for three days at this point. Like it was just Jesus just breathing gas into my car. I don't, that's a weird analogy, but that was what was happening, you know. Um, and so on my way to my last stop, and my car runs out of gas. <sighs> Left right there on the freeway. My dad always told me to keep like a can of gas in the back. And I went back there, but the gas can was empty. Apparently I had used it earlier in the week. And I was on the freeway. I was walking. I, I see an exit sign for two miles away for gas. But I have my gas can. It's empty and I'm walking. But I also have this, this, this nagging feeling in my head that I don't have money to pay for the gas that I need to get to where I go in. And I'm like, man, I'm going to lose this job. Because if you just leave your employer hanging, there's, there's no cell phones at this point, by the way. Just, just, I would just have disappeared at this point for them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking and I'm praying. I'm like, God, you know that I'm doing this job for you. You know that I want to get into Multnomah. You know, I got this application fee. My whole life is right in front of me and I need your help right now. And as I'm praying this prayer, this crazy Buick pulls in right in front of me. And it's like, it, the car was smoking, right? Um, the car was smoking. It had like hubcaps that were barely holding on. And this lady pops up and she's got a cigarette in one hand and a dog in the other hand and this crazy raspy voice. And she goes, she goes, hey, do you need some help? And in my head, I go, well, not from you. <laughs> but then I look down and I'm the guy with the gas can. <laughs> and she's got one more thing that I got, gas, you know? I'm like, well, if this is it, Lord, okay. And so I get in her car. It's not that dirty, but you know when you're in somebody else's space, how weird that feels, you know? So we're driving. We're kind of making small talk. She takes me up to the gas station. I get out of the car. And again, I'm just, I'm thinking, how, how am I going to get this gas? And the lady, and I, and I go, thank you for that. I'm about to shut the door. And she goes, hey, hey, hey. She's got this really, really raspy, husky voice. And she starts digging through this massive purse that she has. And she grabs $20 and she pulls it out. Now, the crazy thing is I needed that $20. I absolutely needed that $20. Um, my whole life depended at this point on that $20. Yet I was still a young man with a lot of pride. And so I said, no, no, you don't have to do that. And she looked at me in a very stern way. And she said, TJ, your whole life's in front of you. Take the money. I took the money. <laughs> I went over and I filled up the gas can. I came back and, I, and she gave me a ride back to my car. But the whole time I'm kind of in bewilderment because of two things. I'm pretty sure that I never told her my name 
And I know for a fact that she didn't know my whole life was in front of me, right? But that's the word she used. She drops me off. She says, God bless. She drives her smoking car on out of there. I get back into my 1986 Accord. I turn on the songs. I have 12 songs on a disc. And the song that plays is a newsboy song. It's called Entertaining Angels. And I go, God, do angels smoke? (laughs) Now, I don't know, right? Let me me calm my Baptist friends down. We don't know if this is a verified miracle here, you know? (laughs) We don't know, okay? But I'm pretty sure she had no idea what my name was. Maybe I gave it to her. Maybe that happened. But I do know this. That if we have Christ, then we have everything we need. And in my poorest moment, God sent somebody, maybe an angel, to bail me out of that situation in that moment, right? If we have Christ, we have everything we need. If we we have everything in common here, not because we have the same issues, the same problems, the same bank accounts, but because we have Jesus in common. Some of you guys come in and you don't have that. You know you don't have that relationship with God yet. I'm going to tell you at the end of this service, there'll be an opportunity for you to join us in this, in this statement. And I guarantee you, it'll be the greatest decision you ever made. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 46 says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Now, there's a lot here and we could spend a full week just on this text, but I want to just focus in on one thing. And it's this right here, that statement, their number. It's kind of an interesting point that, that, that the author here is making. It's, it's an interesting thing that's going on. Because you think about this, and the Lord added to their number. He could have said it any other way. He could have said, and the Lord saved some people and they were blessed for it. In other places, it does say that. But here it says it added to their number. Who is there? There is the church. It's the, it's the people that, that are right in front of us. Am I right? All right. Is this better? All right, there we go. When you think about the, 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 the point there, what's going on here is there's a statement about what salvation does, not just to the individual, but to the whole community. Do you guys realize that salvation just doesn't just exist as a blessing to an individual? Salvation is literally the gas that runs this mechanism that we call the church. When people are getting saved, that's what propels us forward. Another way of saying that is this. Salvation is not just a blessing to the individual. Salvation is a blessing to the whole church. Did you guys hear it in those testimonies this morning? Did you hear it? They went to this camp. They went to this youth group. They found Jesus next to their peers as they were crying out. That's not just their story. You get it? Grace Point, that's our story. And when they declare it, it's a blessing to us. That's why we know, that's what when we know when we're on when we're on mission, is when people are getting saved in front of us. I remember when I, I came to know Jesus. 
And I, I've told that story before. You guys know my sister tricked me into going to summer camp. She told me it was a wakeboarding camp. I showed up there. God literally tore down all the walls in my heart. I found Jesus at this summer camp. And then I came home and I joined the youth group and the church. And the crazy thing about this is for weeks, I would run into random people at church and youth group who would stop me. And, and they, would, they would literally put their hand on me sometimes and say, are you TJ, who's Crystal's brother? And I'd be like, yes. And they would start crying. They'd go, you don't know how many times we were praying for you. You see, my sister wasn't just being annoying to me about Jesus. She was being annoying to her church about me, okay? She was telling everybody she could my name. And she kept saying, I, I, I'm going to get my little brother to follow Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. And they would pray about it in their circles so that people would stop me. They didn't know who I was, but they were praising God with us. Why? Because my salvation wasn't just my blessing. It was my sister's blessing. It was the church's blessing. And it continues to be a blessing to the church as, as long as I'm doing ministry in the church. See, guys, this is how we know that God is propelling us forward. And my hope is that there's a salvation that God wants to have happen today. Maybe multiple salvations. And if, you, if you're one of those people who needs a main point, the main point is this. All true revivals are personal revivals. This is how we know that a revival is true. If hearts are revived, if souls are saved, I don't know if I have an ability. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't have an ability to start a nation revival. But I can preach the gospel, and maybe God will use that gospel to penetrate one person's heart, and they will find Jesus on a Sunday morning student ministry takeover. So let me pray with you guys. But here, let me do this. I'm going to have you guys all bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're a person who walked in here and you said, I don't know Jesus, but whatever he's talking about, that Jesus that he's talking about, I want that. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to just, I'm going to say one line and I'm going to pause. Now, don't say it out loud. Just say it in the quietness of your own heart. But if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, just repeat after me in the quietness of your own heart. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Jesus, I stand before you. I am a sinner. And I need grace. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And you raised from the dead to give me new life. God, I want that new life. God, I want you. God, I declare that my life is yours. And I ask that you would help me to follow you all of the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. Teach me what that means. It's in your name I pray, amen. Everyone keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. Everybody, the only person looking up is me. So if I see eyes, you're not doing it right. So that I know and I can pray for you and I can rejoice with you. If you said that prayer today, if you repeated that prayer in your mind to God and started a relationship with Jesus, will you just put your hand up in, and so that I can see it, that you started a relationship with Jesus? And make sure you raise it high. I see that hand way in the back back there. I see that hand right there. One, two, three, four, five. Amen, 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 amen. 
Now I want to pray one more prayer for those of us who've fallen off the path. This is just a prayer of rededication. If you want to rededicate your life, repeat this prayer after me. God, I, I've sinned, and I've fallen off your path. God, I realize that I need you. God, restore in me the joy of my salvation and help me to follow you all of the days of my life. I love you, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, keep your eyes closed, your head bowed. If you prayed a rededication prayer, go ahead and raise your hand right there so I can see it. Man, look at that. It's pretty much everybody. <laughs> go ahead and put your hands down. Go ahead and put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for this day, the day that you made, the Lord's day. I thank you for the revival that you started in Kentucky. And I thank you for the revival of the hearts in this room. We thank you, Jesus, that you are real and that you really showed up this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, really quick here, guys. Praise God because seven people started a relationship with Jesus this morning. That's amazing. I love it. And we're not done yet. We got a full another service coming here. So it's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. Guys, one more thing. Can you just thank our, uh, our youth ministry team who went above and beyond all their testimonies, all the other stuff, which was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys for that. What an incredible morning.